Great conference. There were people here at this conference who had never been here before, let alone been here for a conference. It made a very powerful impact. So I know that they're going to go back home and say, man, I tell you what, mm, you should have been there. And uh, I don't want to hear anybody else ever again moaning and groaning about how old you are. <laughs> After what you heard during the conference, all right? You know, no, no, no more of this, you know, well, you know, getting old. We joke about that. I understand. But I don't want to hear it as serious talk. Uh-uh. Nope. I expect you, I expect all of us to be around for a long time. No more of this. I don't know if I want to live that long. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. You want to serve the Lord. You don't, you don't want to die and then stand before God and have Him look at you and ask, why are you here? <laughs> and then pull out His notepad, page after page, of what He had planned for you that will never be fulfilled. You need to be here. Praise God. We need to, we need to be at the place to have the oldest congregation on earth. The, and uh, well, the thing is, we need to be here, seriously, to hang around to disciple those who are coming in. We need that. So, praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for a wonderful week. One of the things that we face, and that, this is all relative, it's, it's different for everybody, but... It's what I would refer to as uh, post-conference warfare. Post-conference warfare. Think about Jesus. He gets uh, baptized, comes up out of the water, is filled with the Holy Spirit. Then he spends 40 days in the wilderness with God, with the Father. And during that time you know he is in communication with the Father, receiving instruction, direction, so on and so forth. He's there in the wilderness going through the process of really mortifying the flesh because he's fasting. And then, guess what? Satan shows up and challenges him. And Jesus, he won. He kept winning. It is written... It is written, it is written. Well, Satan got frustrated and left. Now we know he attacked again later on, but, you know, he left. And so then Jesus, you know, he, he comes out of that wilderness in the power of the Holy Ghost and walks into church and delivers a state of the kingdom address. And what happens? The people try to kill him. Now, there are a lot of Christians, if anything like that happened to them, they'd throw up their hands and just quit, complain. But Jesus didn't. He basically said, well, all right, where do you want me to go now, Father? And he goes to the next place, goes to the next place, and more than once, after great victories, there was an attack. 
He cast out devils by Beelzebub. Over and over again. There are six days wherein a person could be healed. Why don't you come then, but not on the Sabbath? Great victories were followed by post-victory warfare. Well, here we are, we had a week full of victory. And in a way, you could kind of look at it as though during the week, for the most part, really, well, Satan was held at bay. But the conference is over. And um, you know he doesn't give up. I'm not exalting him. I'm just telling you what we see in Scripture. And I know for me, it was interesting. Um, man, there was an attack before the conference. I'm talking like the Saturday before the conference. Where somebody contacted me and it wasn't nice. I was being greatly challenged over something. And the way it was expressed, I realized, I mean, I don't know how else to put this other than, you really don't know, I didn't say this, okay? I didn't take the bait, I let it go. Because, let me tell you something. More often than not, every single one of you have been approached some way, somehow by somebody, and you've taken the bait and engaged in a communication you should never never have been involved with. You don't always have to prove you're right. Just live it. And so anyway, this person, um, you know, so I, I realized you, don't, you really don't know what you're talking about. You know, if, you, if you had been in Scripture, you would know. If you were meditating Scripture, you'd understand these things. So I'm not taking the challenge here. I, I'm not going to get involved with it. And... Uh, and I, and I had a great conference. Anyway, now that it's over, I don't know what's going to happen in your life in the next week, two weeks. But if indeed something happens, and I'm not talking about, oh no, car wreck, just, I don't know. It turned to Isaiah 54. Isaiah 54. I'm just letting you know now that you cannot live on the high of a conference the rest of your life. It's back to business. Now, I don't mean that in a negative way. What I mean is we take what happened to us during conference and we use it to our benefit and we go forward from this point. Now look here in Isaiah 54. Now before we read this, I'm just going to tell you right up front, this is, aside from how it applies to the people back then, this is prophetic for us today. Pick it up in verse 11. O thou afflicted, tossed with tempest, and not comforted, behold, I will lay thy stones with fair colors, and lay thy foundations with sapphires. And I will make thy windows of agates, and thy gates of carbuncles, and all thy borders of pleasant stones. In, in other words, let me say it like this. He's saying, what you believe is nothing but, but oh, I don't know, ugly in your life. I'm giving you beauty. I'm going to give you absolute beauty. And he continues and it says, 
and all thy children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of thy children. In righteousness shalt thou be established, thou shalt be far from oppression, for thou shalt not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near thee. Behold, they shall surely gather together, but not by me. Whosoever shall gather together against thee shall fall for thy sake. Behold, I have created the smith that bloweth the coals and the fire, and that bringeth forth an instrument for his work. And I have created the waster to destroy. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. Look at that. Now notice what he says here. I mean, he, he says in verse 16, I've created the smith that bloweth the coals in the fire, and that bringeth forth an instrument for his work, and I have created the waster to destroy. Now that sounds negative, but when you realize in verse 17, no weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment, thou shalt condemn. Do you realize in this perspective, you are the smith that bloweth the coals and the fire. You are the one who brings forth the instrument for his work. You are the waster who is going to destroy the fear and the oppression and all that. You're it. You're it. Not God. But I'm waiting on God. And God is saying, well, wait a second. What did I say here? No weapon that formed against you shall prosper. Why not? Well, because every tongue that shall rise against you in judgment, you shall condemn. Because this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their righteousness is of me. We have inherited, through Jesus Christ, we have inherited the right, the power, and the authority to stand up against the fear, to stand up against the oppression, to stand up against the terror, to stand up against, as he says here, uh, you know, the tongue that speaks against you. We have the right. Our, we have inherited that ability to stand up to it and say, no. No. Absolutely not. That's our inheritance. What if, what if somebody died and gave you you know, a, a brand new Mercedes. You had inherited that Mercedes. And then what if you're walking everywhere you go, taking the bus, riding a bicycle, and a friend comes over, and they notice in your garage, it's like, wow, whose is that? That new Mercedes, man. Whose is that? You say, oh, that's mine. I inherited it. Well, how come you're always asking people for rides? I mean, why, you're always on a bicycle. I see you walking. I saw you on the bus the other day. What's what? Oh, well, you know. No, I don't know. <laughs> Get in that thing and drive it. We have inherited from Almighty God the position of authority over all this stuff. That is our heritage. You imagine how frustrating, now I'm using human terms here, but how frustrating it must be, must be for God to sit up there and look down at us and see 
Here we are, joint heirs with Jesus Christ, and our heritage is authority over all this stuff, and then we let all that stuff run over us. We let that stuff control us. We let that stuff impact our decisions. People get impacted by these weapons, whatever they are. They get impacted in such a way, and it's happened here, well, I just don't think I'm coming back. Why not? Well, you know, people around here and blah, blah. No, 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 it's not the people around here. It's the you in there. It's you. All right, because you're not exercising your position and your inheritance. You're not doing it. And I, you know, I'm the shepherd. I get that. But, do you know that there are shepherds who abuse the sheep? And quite frankly, when, when some of these things come up within this congregation, you're too old for this. Spiritually old. You're, you're too old to be acting this way. Seriously. I'm not trying to be mean to you, but what I'm saying is, we want to see constant, ongoing victory in our lives you know, we talk about, yeah, Jesus given us the victory, and He has. We want to talk about, yeah, we've been made more than conquerors, overcomers in this life. Woohoo, hallelujah. But then we don't do it. It's almost, hey, sooner or later. Okay, how many of you have ever, like you had kids, children. How many of you, when your child was born, was born as a full adult? None of you. Alright? So what happened? You had to teach that child how to do for him or herself. And there comes a point in time you expect that child to know how to use a fork, a spoon, and a knife. You don't want to, be, you don't want to have to go to school with your kid in 12th grade and feed him at lunch. I'm hungry. <laughs> open up. Come on, baby, open up. Ooh, here come the airplane. Ooh. You guys know what I'm talking about. But as Christians here we have, we have, in, listen, we have inherited a position of authority that comes from the creator of the universe. And he expects us to use it. What is a weapon? He says, no weapon that... Formed against you shall prosper. What is a weapon? Well, here is a definition of you know what is a weapon. Anything that is opposed to who we are in Christ, what we have in Christ, and every promise of God is a weapon formed against us. All of that. I'm going to say that again. Anything that is opposed to who we are in Christ, what we have in Christ, and every promise of God is a weapon formed against us. And what that means is lack is a weapon formed against us. As Christians, everybody's going to be at a different financial level in life. I get that. And some of it has to do with some folks are just lazy. And some folks, they just don't think they can do anything in life, and so they just accept whatever comes along. Other people are achievers. I get it. However, in spite of that, you know, Scripture says, you know, I've never seen the righteous begging for bread, and yet, what do we have today? The righteous begging for bread all over the place. 
Okay, our inheritance is victory over lack. That doesn't mean the, the going from begging for bread today to being a millionaire tomorrow. It just means victory over lack. That's just the way it is. And what's interesting, there are some Christians out there, they expect their church to provide that victory for them. Now, the church is not God, and the church doesn't have the responsibility to finance your laziness. But yet we have victory over lack. And if you don't see yourself as having that victory over lack, you're going to struggle. Some people struggle out of foolishness. Hey, look, I got a $50 a week raise. Let's go out and buy a new house. $50 a week raise ain't going to pay for a new house. Come on. So yeah, there's a lot of foolishness that can be involved with this, but right along with that, you know, a weapon, <laughs> it can be depression, fear, anxiety, I mean, on and on it goes. It can be a physical illness. Well, guess what? By Jesus' stripes you were healed. And I ministered to people and, you know, oh, pray for me, it's this. Yeah, well, you know, by Jesus' stripes you were healed. I know, I know, but this thing just won't go away. And I wonder why. By Jesus' stripes you were healed. I didn't say it won't be a battle sometimes. But the, the severity of the battle does not mean the word of God is not true. So yeah, sometimes, you know, you fight. I get that. I've been there. Some people have been in fights, far, physical fights now, you know, with afflictions. Far worse than anything I've dealt with. But the Word of God is still true. We, we have, um, a sickness is a weapon against our bodies. Now, through Jesus, we have inherited the right to keep the weapons from prospering in our lives. Because he says, no weapon that formed against you shall prosper or shall increase in your life. Now, in this, when he talks about, oh, look in verse 14. Um, in righteousness shalt thou be established, thou shalt be far from oppression, uh, thou shalt not fear and from terror, it shall not come near thee. He's not saying, because as he continues through here, and he says, no weapon formed against you is going to prosper, it's like, well, wait a minute, how could it even prosper if it's nowhere near me? No, what he's saying is, from his perspective, now this is God speaking, from God's perspective, none of these things are good enough to overwhelm and control you. That's what he, He's not saying you won't face it ever. Otherwise, he wouldn't tell you that the weapon won't prosper. Now he's telling you right here, look, from my position, yeah, you're in that fallen world. Okay, these things, these weapons will come against you. However, for those of you who are my righteousness, then I say those things will not control your life. And I say they will not prosper at your expense. And I say that you've inherited the right to conquer it. To beat it. So then, when, it, when this whole thing of the weapon... When, look, you have to understand. When a weapon... Okay, no weapon that is... Look at this. This is, 
I won't dwell on this too much. No weapon that is formed against you. Do you realize that a lack of $100 for some people is a greater weapon than a lack of $50,000 for other people? No weapon that is formed against you. Okay? Now, a weapon that is formed against us, it has no an intention of ever leaving until we do something about it. It wants to move in. You know, we've got in our neighborhood, there are some squirrels. They're friendly. I mean, they're too friendly. And uh, I kid you not, there are times, it's like two or three of them are like this out of all the squirrels around. But every now and then, seriously, we'll have like the front door open, there's the storm door. Squirrel comes up and starts scratching on the door. Hey, nuts, nuts. No, not you in there. It's what I want to eat. Nuts, nuts. And, you know, me being the nice guy that I am, we, we actually bought a jar of peanuts. I said, all right, come on. And then when I start to open the door, it's like, no, 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 uh-uh, no, back up, back up. Nope, you're not coming in. Uh-uh, no. And then I go outside and put the nuts down and stand and watch them eat. You know, okay, that's me, Mr. Nice Guy, sort of. <laughs> you know what? Well, if you wouldn't give them the nuts, they wouldn't come up. <laughs> okay, I'm a softy, all right? But the one thing I do, yeah, the squirrel's knocking on the door. And I just stand there and say, you keep on knocking, but you can't come in. I'm not going to open the door for the squirrel to come in. Because once that squirrel comes in, that squirrel assumes, this is my home. I'll share it with you, but this is my home. Ask anybody who owns a cat. They're going to tell you, oh yeah, you know, the cat thinks this is their home. They share it with us. Okay, I don't want to open the door of my life to the weapon. I don't want that to happen. You know, the success of a weapon is totally determined by how we use our authority to address it. Because the weapon's going to be there. The weapon will attack. The weapon will knock on the door. But, how it succeeds, how it prospers is, best on, is based upon our response. When a weapon you know, attacks, we can internalize or externalize our response. Now, here's what I mean. When we internalize the response, what that means is we're allowing the weapon to impact us inside and govern how we act and live. What we think, what we say. When we externalize our response, we're acknowledging the existence of the weapon, but that's as far as it goes. It does not control the way we think. As a, What I mean is, it doesn't control our thinking so that we think fondly about it. You say, well that's stupid. Who would think fondly about a problem. Oh, that's an easy one. When all you talk about is your problem and the weapon, that is the dark side of fondness. Because you're exalting it in your life. 
And you've got too many Christians, they don't know why they're having so many problems, when what they're doing is they're exalting the problem. See, we can, as long as we externalize the response, then we're exercising our inheritance against it. We can reinforce the weapon, or we can repel against it with the authority of our mouth. You know, the only way that you can get a tooth fixed is if you go to the dentist and open your mouth. You get it? God expects us to open our mouths. Do you realize how many people would never have been healed if Jesus had never said anything? Just go through and read it. Receive your healing. Be healed. Come out. How many people would never have received deliverance if Jesus hadn't said something? And now here we have inherited that position from Him. In, um, <clears throat> in Matthew chapter 15, verse 11, Jesus said, Not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth this defileth a man. What comes out of your mouth can either exalt you or defile you. I didn't understand this years ago, many years ago. But the more I got into the Word, the more I realized God places a higher value on words than what we typically do. In general, the body of Christ has a very flippant attitude toward what they say. Now, I'm not talking about jesting, you know, the joking. But some people, they veil their self-criticism in a joke. Well, you know how it is. <laughs> I'm just always sick. Har, har, har. But that's what they mean. And they're speaking that. And we laugh, you know, oh, oh, oh that's funny. But that's what, they're, that's what they think. They have internalized the weapon. And they have made it a domineering factor in their life. See, we defile our lives with defeat by giving the weapon victory. And how did we do that? By constantly talking about that weapon, whatever it is. Seriously, whatever it is. And there are some of you in here and watching this, hearing this, look, you're guilty. You say, well, how do you know that? I hear it. <laughs> Sometimes I get emails from people and it's like, well, I know where you're coming from. There's no victory in, in what you're sharing. None. Just defeat. You're defiling yourself. But we don't see that. We don't think of it like that. Because we're so accustomed to all the other Christians around us just venting just well i'm just i'm just trying to talk about my problem i'm just trying to let you know well and they go on and on and on about the issue and then at the end of it, it's like well praise god you know, why are you praising god for all that that's a mess no that that's not the beauty that god is describing here in the first few verses you know isaiah 54 11 12 13 that's not the beauty that god is describing you are defiling your life 
And as we continue to do something like that, okay, um, I hope I don't get myself in too much trouble here with this. And I may need some protection after the service. But in my life of, of living for the Lord, being a Christian, in fact, I'll tell you what, I'll narrow it down to just the last 40 years, Kathy and I have been married. My observation, maybe not yours, but my observation is that women struggle with this more than men because women tend to be more emotional than men. <laughs> now, I don't know if those are looks of compassion or daggers. But ladies, am I wrong? No, you don't want to admit to anything. I get that. Okay, think about it. Women sit around and watch one of those romance movies, and they're like, oh, I'm going to get everybody to cry. And men, they sit around wondering, is it time for pizza? <laughs> Come on, man. Get this movie over. Isn't there a game on or something? You see, how many times, and I've seen this. I've seen this a lot. A woman so overwhelmed with a weapon that she is in tears, and she goes on. And on and on and on about the weapon, whatever it is. Ladies, you're defiling yourself, and what you're doing is giving that weapon a seat of authority in your life. Now, men can do this too. I understand that. But I've seen it more with women than I have with men. That means, ladies, when it comes to this, you know, you're going to have to fight harder because this is your authority. This is your position. This is your inheritance as well. What I've seen in the body of Christ is that we accept, well, you know, the woman, she's the weaker vessel. Okay, and so what happens then is we tend to coddle each other. And what we tend to do, and I'm not, this is not pick on ladies' day, but what I'm trying to help you understand is this. We're a part of the body of Christ. And in Christ there's no male and there's no female. That means it doesn't matter what your body is. Who you is on the inside. That's where the victory lies. And that's what you have to live and that's what you have to become. Look, every one of us in here, we've, we've faced family problems. Family issues. You know, things that can really... But you know what? There's not one person in this room that's going to face a greater family problem than what God has faced, than what God faced in Genesis 3. Because Adam and Eve lived in an absolutely perfect world. There, there were no bars. There, there were no other men and women. I mean, it wasn't there. And God watched... And the Bible calls Adam his son. And God watched as Adam sealed the fate for all eternity, which kicked in Jesus slain from the foundation of the world. Kicked in that plan. And so what happens is this. And guys, please, honestly, I'm saying this again. Don't think I'm picking on the women. But too many, too many women seem to just play the woman card and expect that everybody's going to go along with their misery. You can't be like that if you're going to truly live for Christ. You want to talk about somebody, a woman going through misery? Let's talk about Mary, the mother of Jesus. 
She gives birth to the Son of God. Everything is going great until he steps out in his calling. And she traveled with him. Scripture bears this out. She traveled with him. She witnessed people trying to kill him. She witnessed the people saying that he has a devil. She witnessed all this stuff. You talk about heartbreak. And I'm sure that more than once, she wanted to pick up a two-by-four and straighten some Pharisee's head out. And she was also there on the day her son was crucified. Yeah, she was there at the resurrection as well. But, she stood strong in this. History tells us that she continued strong. Remember when Jesus was on the cross and he looks down and he talks to John and he said, John, behold your mother, you know, um, and you know, behold your son. That he was commissioning John to, to take care of Mary. And, and historical writings tell us he did and she lived with him. And historical writings tell us that she stood strong in the faith. If any woman ever had what you would call a right to turn on God and walk away, it was Mary. But guess what? She was in the upper room. So really, when you consider Mary, there's no woman, no matter who you are, you do not have a good enough excuse to wallow in the mire of self-pity. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might, that is your inheritance. Now somebody could turn this, well you didn't say that we shouldn't be bothered by anything. Oh no, even Jesus was bothered by things. But He externalized it. He didn't internalize it and let it govern Him. That's the difference. We're all going to be bothered by things. See, the best way to console a person is to speak the Word of God into their life. That Don't, don't be... Doing this, yeah, I know. Boy, everything sucks. Yeah, I know. Well, I t- I've been through the same thing, and I tell you, it's not good. Well, I t- you know what? You don't need gloom, despair, and agony on me. Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. Yeah, I used to watch Hee Haw. All right. Some Christians, you think that's their favorite song by virtue of what they say. The best way to console a person is to speak the Word of God into their lives. His words are life. And so when we're ministering to somebody, yeah, I know, it's not wrong to be there for somebody and to you know do everything you can to make them feel good. But not out of the flesh. Not out of emotions. They need the Word of God. They need that encouragement. And I'll tell you right now, some Christians, they don't want to hear that. What they want to hear is that you are in agreement with them in their misery. Don't ever do that. You're not helping people like that. Be there, love, all that other... Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. But speak... The word only. That's what they need. Now look over in Psalm, or not Psalm, but Proverbs. Proverbs 27. Proverbs 27. And what I'm going to show you right now is an absolute breakthrough verse, spiritual principle 
kingdom key when it comes to exercising your inheritance against the weapons. Here it is. Psalm, Proverbs 27, verse 21. As the refining pot for silver and the furnace for gold, so is a man to his praise. See that? What's it saying? The refining pot for silver, the furnace for gold. What's that talking about? It's talking about the refining pot and the furnace are used to purge all the impurities out of the silver and the gold. Those impurities, now now hear this, those impurities are in the silver and in the gold. But then that refining pot and that furnace are used, you know, turn up the heat, to cause the impurities to pass from within to rise to the surface so they can be scraped off and removed permanently. And he says, what God is telling you right in here is, as the refining pot for silver and the furnace for gold, that is what praise is to the people of God. That's what praise is. He's telling you that through your praise and through your worship, whatever the weapon is that has been allowed to take seat on the inside, doesn't matter what it is. He says, in your praise and your worship, that becomes the thing that purges that stuff out of you. It turns on the heat, if you will. And I can stand here and I, I can testify to you that this is for real. And it works. I went for years with letting all kinds of impurities build up on the inside. But then when I figured out that praise and worship helped me, and I started doing that, my goodness, it was, stuff started changing in me. Stuff, look, when you become, when you do, verse 21 here, when you do this, now hear me guys, what I'm sharing with you will change your life forever, if you do it. When you begin to do verse 21, you're going to begin to purge yourself of all kinds of stuff that has clouded your judgment, that has, that has led you to make wrong decisions. This will change your life. And besides that, you don't need my testimony that it works. You don't need me to share with you, well, I've done it and I know it works. All you need is this verse right here. Because that's the Word of God. This works. See, one reason that this conference we just had was so incredible and and went so well was due to the worship. It was powerful. It's the best conference I've ever been in as far as worship is concerned. Absolute best. And there were people attending the conference who, uh, whether they... uh, just, I can only speak for the people physically here because I haven't had any uh, communica- communication about this from folks at WASH, but there were people here who experienced what you might call an inner purging because of their worship. There were pe- Nobody came to me and said this, but it, it's kind of what I was picking up on. I truly believe there were people here in this conference who worshiped God 
in a way they'd never done before. And there were people changed during this conference. Oh yeah, the sermons and all were good and, and, and the, whatever prayers took place, but that worship, it brought about change in people. Good things happened in people. And the change that took place, they're taking with them, or took with them when they headed back home. But those of us who are here, same thing. See, a Sunday full of worship cannot firmly establish victory in our lives when there is a consistent six-day defilement. So you can come in here on a Sunday, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and I mean, man, you're at, you're just, hallelujah, yes, Jesus, bless your holy name. And I mean, you are in it. You are engaged. But then Monday through Saturday, whether you're alone or with other people, when you are defiling yourself, you need to understand that Sunday worship is not going to give you that conquering victory that you need in your life because you've been defiling yourself for six days. Then you come in here on Sunday and expect everything to change. I've got news for you. It's not going to happen. One of the best things that we can do in our lives every day, and I have not been as consistent about this as, as I should, but one of the best things we can do every day is praise the Lord. Now, I'm not talking about six, seven hours of praise and worship, but you know, if, inter, if, if like sprinkled throughout the day, you're praising God, you're worshiping God, you're developing a pattern of praise and worship in your life that brings about change and helps you exercise your inherited authority over all that stuff. And I will tell you this, if you do that, what will begin to change is impurities of the weapons. All right? it, it starts to get purged, but then along with that, you will come to the place to where things don't bother you as much as they used to. That's because you're building up that barrier. You're building up that protection against it, and, and you're not letting it in. Psalm 19, verse 14 says, Well, not, you know what? Turn over to Psalm 12. I want you to see this. Talking about the purging and the, the furnace, the refiner's pot and so forth. Psalm chapter 12. Look at this. Verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. See this? God's telling you right now, <laughs> my words are already purified as though they are the silver that's been through the furnace seven times. There are no impurities in my word. So when we take His word and we begin to praise Him, see a lot of the songs we sing are word for word scripture or they are what you might call modern translations of Scripture. But they're based on the truth of the Word. Now, when you begin declaring the Word of God, and you begin worshiping God, He tells you right here, my words are pure. So in other words, you can't go wrong with this. 
And when you begin utilizing God's Word, God, you, know, you said I am more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ, so I am more than a conqueror. Make up your own songs. Make them up. Sing Scripture. It does. Well, people will hear me. Well, not if you're alone. While you're driving down the road. Just make up your own songs. Use the Word of God. Start making up. Just do it. (laughs) You can do it. Well, I never thought of that before. Well, praise God. Today's breakthrough day. You think about it now. And then... When he talks about, thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve, preserve them from this generation forward. You know, you could say, well, he's talking about people. I, I understand that concept, but people die. So we're not preserved. Like you and I, you know, 500 years from now, we're, we're probably going to be gone. <laughs> I mean, we're going to live for a while, okay? But 500 years from now, we may be gone. So... Us, as that generation, are not preserved beyond that 500-year mark. Do you understand what I'm saying? So therefore, what, what I do know is this, that God keeps His Word, and God preserves His Word from generation to generation to generation to generation. His Word is the same. His Word is a constant. His Word is pure. His Word is deliverance. His Word is everything we need. Psalm 19, verse 14, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. The words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. What Jesus say is what comes out of the man that defiles him. So, the meditation of my heart needs to be my inheritance of victory. The pure words of God. The meditation of my, of my heart. We're not talking about all day long, you know, quoting memorized scripture, although you could. The point that God's trying to get across to us is, okay, let me say it this way. If the meditation of your heart is not the word of God, then when you speak the Word of God, it's almost like you're putting on a show. Every one of us in here, we know, we know when to say hallelujah. We know when to say amen. We know what to say to each other when we're all together. Oh yes, God is faithful. God, Oh yeah, He'll never let you down. But if the meditation of your heart is not in it, then what happens is, it's like those are just words. Now, they help. I mean, it's better than nothing. But God wants the meditation of our heart and the words of our mouth to be in sync so that we don't have to think about what to say. So that we don't have to try and, you know, look good. Because it just, this is who we are. On your job. You know, what comes out of your mouth on your job? <laughs> you know, uh, this, this fill-in-the-blank thing, this printer, you know, this, this screwdriver, this thing here, that thing, this, you know, oh, I just... Okay, what, ha- what are you saying beyond that? What's your testimony? Because what's happening is you're defiling yourself 
and you are not making a very good impression on the people around you. I mean, you're butchering your testimony. Why should anybody want to believe in the Jesus that <laughs> your words do not reflect? And besides that, <laughs> how do you expect, how, how do any of us expect God to stand in agreement with us when the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart are not acceptable in His sight? How do we expect to see this kind of victory? Guys, what I'm sharing with you today is one of the reasons why, a major reason why, a lot of Christians, it's like they just surf from one problem to another and constantly complaining, constantly fussing. There are Christians I've known over the years. I don't want, I don't want to talk to them. And I will try and avoid them. Because I know if we engage in a conversation it's probably, based on history, they're probably going to start talking about all the yeah, but yeah, I don't want to. And I don't want to hear it. I don't want that mud being slung all over me. I don't want to hear it. When the meditation of your heart lines up with the victory that you have in Christ, you're going to start speaking this. This is so critical because it impacts our whole lives, our, just everything about us. But, as I mentioned at the beginning of all of this, post-conference warfare. You know, if, if Satan thinks that he can form some kind of weapon against you that's going to work, you better believe it's going to work. I'm telling you. It, maybe everything was good yesterday, today, next week, I don't know, but... We live in this world, a fallen world, and there's an enemy that hates us with a hatred that can't be measured. But we have a God who loves us with a love that can't be measured. And He has given to us everything that we need. He's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in Christ. Guys, we, we have to exercise that authority. We cannot let ourselves get dragged down. We cannot let ourselves... To, to just moan and groan about stuff. We have the right to rise up above it and to exercise authority above it to externalize, not internalize, and live in this victory every day of our lives. Yeah, there are going to be rainy days. I get it. But you know what? You can use an umbrella. You don't have to get soaked. Don't let the weapon win. Praise God. Please stand. You know, the greatest weapon in all of the world, the greatest weapon is a mindset which says, I don't need Jesus. I'm doing okay without him. Well, I don't need your religion. Well, I don't need... No. See, that's a weapon that will take you to hell. I know that sounds harsh, but it's true. Because, see, if your name is not written in the book of life, you don't spend eternity with God. And the only way that your name can be written in the book of life is if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's it. As I don't know 
where you know all the people watching, all the people listening, I mean, just all the people at this moment now hearing this, I don't know where everybody stands as far as their relationship with Jesus is concerned, but I can tell you this. I didn't know that I was supposed to be a minister until later on in life. What I'm saying is some people can look at me and think, well, yeah, but you know, you're the preacher. Well, I wasn't always the preacher. I mean, there was a time in my life to where it didn't look good for me spiritually. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you need to understand God loves you. And He has made a way for you to not spend eternity separated from Him. He's made a way for you to totally, permanently, and forever avoid the lake of fire. And it's by admitting the fact that, yeah, you know, your life is not what it should be and that you need Jesus as your Savior. You don't clean your life up before you accept Jesus. You accept Jesus and He cleans you up. He works with you. Now right now, those of you here and those of you watching, listening to this, you know if your life is right with God. You know on the inside if you have ever truly made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. And if you haven't, this is an opportunity for you. And I'm going to lead in a prayer to be born again. To accept Jesus as Savior. And if this is what you want, if you, I mean, if you truly want this, just repeat this prayer after me. Dear Lord Jesus, there is sin in my life and I cannot change me. I need your help. So I invite you into my life and Jesus, I ask you to remove from me that old sin nature and give to me the born-again life. I receive it from you, Jesus. And I ask you to fill me with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I invite you to come into my life and to give to me every one of your gifts you know I need no matter what they are including the gift of being able to pray in tongues I receive it from you and I ask you to help me to live for Jesus from this day forward in Jesus name Amen praise God if you meant that when you prayed it and guess what you're born again and if perchance you're here and that's the first time you ever prayed that to receive the Lord, well, you can let me know before you take off or, you know, you can send me an email. I want to rejoice with you and pray for you.